you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I am the lead pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity today. I want to begin by reciting the words to a famous creed that maybe you grew up reciting, or maybe you even recite in your church today. It's the famous Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now there's one line in the Apostles' Creed that I cannot bring myself to say. I agree with the heart of the Apostles' Creed. I think it's a very succinct creed. It's one of the oldest creeds of Christianity. But there's that phrase, he descended into hell. This is a fairly popular teaching, the idea that Jesus descended into hell. There's the word faith, people that believe that actually Jesus was born again in hell, and then he went down and took on the nature of, of Satan in hell and was the first born again man. That's absolute rank heresy. But the question we've got to ask is, just because something is worded in a famous historical creed, does it necessarily mean that it is biblically and theologically accurate? Did Jesus, in fact, descend into hell? Now, this is a statement in the Apostles' Creed, but there are only two passages of Scripture that might, I say might possibly, teach this theory. The first one's easier to handle. The second one is very difficult. The first scripture is Ephesians 4, 9-10. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, this passage of scripture is talking about Jesus coming and giving spiritual gifts to the church. It talks about him ascending and descending into the lower regions of the earth. And commentators have given three historical views as to what Paul is teaching here in Ephesians chapter 4. The first view is that Paul is literally teaching that Jesus actually descended into Hades, that Jesus went into hell. Uh, the second view sees it as Paul talking about the incarnation, that Jesus came to earth, he descended from heaven to earth, he came in the flesh, and then when he died on the cross and rose again, he ascended back up to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. Uh, the third view is talking about the descent of the Spirit at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down in tongues of fire. Now, out of all of those interpretations, I think option two is the most probable. 
the lower parts of the cosmos, the earth. It doesn't say anything there about Jesus descending into hell. There's a Greek word for Hades. There's a Greek word for hell, Gehenna. It talks about the cosmos, the earth. There's a parallel between the ascent to heaven and the descent from from heaven to earth. If you remember back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, where it talks about Jesus being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but uh, came to earth and made himself nothing, came in the form of God as a slave. That This whole idea that Jesus came and humbled himself in the incarnation. Um, I don't think it's talking about the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost because there's nothing in that text that speaks about Pentecost, and it's talking about Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. So I think that text is clearly teaching the incarnation, Jesus coming down to the earth in the flesh in the form of a man to fulfill God's will of dying on the cross, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that's the first passage of scripture that that, that some people use to possibly um, understand the idea that Jesus may have descended into hell. The passage of scripture that really um, is difficult to understand and the one where many come to this conclusion is from 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 20. Peter writes this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, and which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. I like what Martin Luther says about this passage of Scripture. He says, quote, A wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage than perhaps any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. (laughs) So, So Martin Luther has no clue what this means. And so this is a very, very difficult passage of scripture. And so there's some questions we've got to ask of this text to to understand exactly what Peter is teaching. First of all, when did this occur? Secondly, where did Jesus actually go? Thirdly, to whom did he preach? Who exactly are these spirits in prison? And fourth, what was his message? What did he preach to them? So there's four key questions that we've got to exegetically ask of this passage of Scripture. And I want to let you know that there have been four primary theories about this. I've studied them all extensively. Um, I've looked at the original languages. I've gone back to the Old Testament. And I've come down on one view that I support. And I'm not going to be dogmatic on this. I don't think you can be dogmatic because this is an obscure, difficult passage of Scripture, and we cannot build an entire theology on one text. This is what cults often do. This is what aberrant streams of of those within um, the the cults and the the weird, wacky religions do. They take an isolated, very difficult passage of Scripture and, and build an entire systematic theology or doctrine on it. And so we need to understand a term that was coined by the Reformers 
called the analogy of faith. The analogy of faith basically means that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so here's what we need to understand. When you come across a very difficult to understand Scripture, you need to go with what the whole of Scripture says to see the totality of how a certain doctrine is taught. So from Genesis to Revelation, the Scripture is coherent. It's unified. It does not have inherent contradictions. So we need to be humble and realize that when you come to a difficult passage of Scripture, don't create a full-blown theology from it. Let passages that are more clear speak to that. Look at consistencies. Look at repeated themes. Look at, look at a doctrine that's repeated over and over again. If it's mentioned just once in passing, uh, look at it and say, you know what? When we get to heaven, we may figure out what this means, but right now it's fairly obscure and we can't be dogmatic on what it means. We can take our best shot. We can use the analogy of faith. We can let Scripture interpret Scripture. But at the end of the day, we may just have to say, this is my best guess. It's true. It's inerrant. It's inspired. But due to our limitations, both with our sinful um, minds and also just with the historical and cultural background to the original writing, we are at a disadvantage of knowing what Peter's original authorial intent actually is. So with, with that as introduction, let's look at these four views of how um, scholars and historians and pastors over the years, over the centuries really, have dealt with this passage of scripture. And again, let's let's just keep in focus the big question we're asking. Did Jesus, in fact, descend into hell? Is this a biblical warrant for that doctrine? Well, the earliest view, view number one, the earliest view in church history, this is what the early church fathers taught, is that the spirits are people who sinned during the time of Noah and who are now in hell. Now think about the flood for a moment. Everybody on planet Earth was wiped out in the flood. They did not have a chance to repent. They died rebellious. They died in their sins. They went to hell. And so this view says that sometime between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, when he was in the tomb, he spiritually or physically, however you want to look at it, descended down into hell and he preached the gospel specifically to that group of people, those that were sinners during the time of Noah who died, and gave them a chance to repent in hell so that they could trust Christ and thus possibly be saved. Now, I have to say I totally reject this theory. And here's why I reject this, because nowhere in Scripture are we told that sinners have a second chance after death? Uh, there, there is, there's clear teaching that there is not a second chance after death. But once you die, that's the end. Also, think about it. How many years did Noah spend building the ark? He built that ark for 120 years. So you can't tell me those people had no chance to repent. It also says in 1 Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he was warning them when the flood came. So I don't buy the idea that these people had no chance to repent. Now, did the flood come swiftly? 
Did the flood burst from the deep and the waters open from above? Yes, but these people were watching Noah. They heard Noah. They saw him. He was a preacher of righteousness. And so um, they had 120 years to repent. They did not. They rejected um, God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, and, and they went to hell because of their lack of faith. And nowhere in the Bible does it say there's a second chance after death. So I reject the early church history view of this idea that Jesus went to hell and preached to those who were in hell and gave them a chance to repent. That's view number one. Well, the second view is similar, and it was actually articulated by John Calvin. Now, I highly admire John Calvin. I use his commentaries um, I am a Calvinist. I, uh, there, there's a lot of things that I agree with with John Calvin, but I disagree with him on his conclusion here. Here's what Calvin teaches. Uh, the second view says that the spirits in prison are actually Old Testament saints, Old Testament believers who died, and now they are in a place called Sheol. A Sheol is like a holding tank. They haven't gone to heaven yet. They're basically in a place of the dead, awaiting going to heaven. And Jesus goes not to hell, per se, but to Sheol, this holding tank, and he proclaims the gospel to Old Testament believers and then takes them to heaven with him in his ascension. The problem with this view is that if you go back to the scripture and look at what Peter says, it says that these spirits formally did not obey. They were disobedient. Okay? So they're defined as being disobedient. I don't think that characterizes Old Testament believers. Um, the book of Hebrews Chapter 11 tells us that these were people of faith. Now, did they disobey at times? Did they have sin issues in their life? Yes, but were they characterized as disobedient? No, that does not characterize Old Testament saints. Also, Peter seems to narrow the situation strictly to the days of Noah. He does not maximize it or stretch it out to the entire Old Testament period. He Peter specifically says it was during the times of Noah. So Calvin says these aren't the people during Noah that were lost people that didn't have a chance to repent. These are actually Old Testament saints like Moses and Abraham and um, Jacob and Joseph and, and Isaac and Joshua and all the Old Testament saints that did not, when they die, go straight to heaven. They went to Sheol, a place of the dead, a holding tank, and it wasn't until Jesus died on the cross and went down there and got them and brought them back up. That's view number two. Okay? The third view was first articulated by Augustine. Now, I know Augustine comes in time before Calvin, but Augustine's view has caught traction with modern-day proponents. Okay, so great Reformed theologians like John Piper, Wayne Grudem, Ed Clowney, and even Millard Erickson, who, who's written a, an extensive systematic theology, so is Wayne Grudem, they agree with Augustine's view. So here's Augustine's view. Um, Augustine, if you remember historically, um, he was responding 
to many of the early church views. So what was the early church view? The early church view was that Jesus literally descended into hell to give sinners at the time of Noah a second chance. And so Augustine said, now wait a minute, time out. Uh, that doesn't sit well with me that Jesus descended into hell. So what Augustine did, and this was kind of the school of thought during this time, uh, a, a lot of, especially in the three and four hundreds A.D., there were a lot of allegorizing and spiritualizing of biblical truth. And so what Augustine says, he basically spiritualized what Jesus did. So instead of Jesus actually doing the preaching himself, basically he says that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was present spiritually in the days of Noah, and it wasn't Jesus literally who preached, but it was the Spirit of Christ through Noah, and it was Noah preaching to his generation. And the spirits that are in prison are those unbelievers who were in Noah's day, who in fact didn't believe the message, and they are now suffering in hell. So Augustine said it's not a physical descent into hell or Hades or Sheol, it was literally the preaching that occurred back in Noah's day through the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's not Jesus preaching this. It's the Holy Spirit of Christ empowering Noah to preach this message during his day to those who rejected the message and died in the flood. Okay, those are the three views. The early church view. Jesus descended literally into hell and preached to those that were during the time of the flood to give them a second chance to repent. Second view, Calvin's view, Jesus descended into Sheol, a holding tank, and he received Old Testament believers and brought them back to heaven. They did not immediately go to heaven when they died back in the Old Testament. Third view, more of a spiritualized view, Augustine's view, that it wasn't Jesus who did the preaching, but it was the Holy Spirit through Noah that did the preaching. Those are three of the views. Now, what's the fourth view? Okay, so I've done a lot of reading and commentaries, a lot of study on this. And again, I can't be dogmatic, but I, I, I think that the fourth view is probably the most accurate. So let me... Instead of just stating what the fourth view is, let's, let's try to answer these uh, four questions that I brought up, that the text really brings up. And, and let's just go through exegetically asking these questions and see if we can uh, understand what this fourth view is. First question, to whom did Jesus preach? Okay, since Peter uses specifically the days of Noah as his context, and talks about spirits in prison, I believe they could be actual demons or fallen angels who came to earth in Genesis 6, chapter 6 and had relations with the daughters of men. This is contextually in the book of Genesis what's going on right before the flood and leads up to um, the whole idea of God destroying the earth. So Genesis 6, 1 through 4, 
when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now here we're dealing with the Nephilim, which in and of itself is another controversial issue. But what I believe, without going into all of the detail of what this is, I think this was Satan's failed attempt to corrupt the earth and extend the seed of Cain. Remember Genesis 3.15, the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent? And Satan knows that the, the seed of the woman is coming, the Messiah is coming. He just didn't know in time when it would be. And so Satan tries to somehow thwart God's plans. And so um, these fallen angels, these spirit beings, these, these demons that inhabited man's bodies came down and they cohabitated. They had sexual relations with women, produced an ungodly offspring, produced this um, group called the Nephilim, this unspiritual, ungodly, disobedient, demonic type of race. Now, these were all destroyed in the flood, like the rest of mankind. The Nephilim were destroyed. If you remember, every single person was destroyed on planet Earth except for Noah and his family. So, these unclean spirits, these Nephilim, these demonic fallen angels were sent to prison. They were sent to the abyss by God for their treachery. Now, we can probably say that for the 120 years that Noah was building the ark and that no one was repenting, it could be that these Nephilim, these ungodly offspring, were chiefly responsible for filling the earth with violence, filling the earth with rebellion. Now, the Greek text uses the word spirits in the plural, spirits. Almost always with that exception in the New Testament, this Greek word in the plural refers not to human beings, but to angels or demons. Okay? In addition, it talks about these spirits being in prison. The word for prison is never used as a place for punishment of humans after death. Actually, that Greek word is used for Satan being bound for a thousand years in the book of Revelation. Revelation 20 verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Okay, so it doesn't say hell. It doesn't say Sheol. Peter's very specific and uses the Greek word prison. He proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Not humans, not dead souls, spirits. And again, that Greek word is almost often used of angels or demons or, or spirit beings that are non-human. So let's keep thinking about this whole idea of spirits being in prison. 
2 Peter and Jude give credence to this idea that demonic spirits are in prison. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now this specifically talks about hell, but it talks about these spirits being committed to chains of gloomy darkness, being put somehow, being bound in some type of prison. Jude 1.6, the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So from this passage in Genesis to the meaning of the Greek words to other evidences, it seems that these spirits that are in prison are demonic spirits, fallen angels. Okay? That's question number one. Who are these spirits? Now, second question. Where did Jesus actually go? Did he literally descend into hell to preach to these demons? I don't believe he did. In verse 19, the text simply says, he went. He went. It does not say he descended or he went down. There are other Greek words that could have been used to denote a downward motion. Peter uses a very generic word here for going. But contextually, this Greek word shows up in verse 22. Who has gone into heaven? In both cases, they're in the same Greek construction. So I take it to mean that when Jesus ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, he made a proclamation to these spirits who were in prison. I don't believe Jesus went down to hell to preach to them, but I think actually he made his proclamation on the way up to heaven at his ascension that was directed to these spirits who were in or are in prison. So I believe this answers the when. I think it's at his ascension. Not sometime between his death and his resurrection. I don't believe it's a descent into hell. Nowhere are we told that he descended into hell. We are told that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and ascended. Those are the three or the four areas we know Jesus was on the cross, he was in the tomb, he was rose, rose again, and he ascended. But let's ask the other question. What was the message? What did Jesus proclaim to these demons? And let's just ask another question. What would be the purpose of it? Why, why would Jesus even preach to them? Now, Peter could have used the Greek word euangelizo. We get our word evangelize from it to preach the gospel. Jesus could have preached a message of the gospel. But G Peter uses the, another Greek word, caruso, which means to publicly declare an authoritative message. So I don't think that Jesus is going down to hell to preach an evangelistic message to people to give them an opportunity to repent. I believe Jesus on his way up from 
the, the resurrection and to the ascension, when he's going back up to heaven, he is preaching a victory message of his conquering death, his conquering demonic powers, and his triumph over them. He does this on his way back up to heaven as a vindication and a message of victory and judgment against those demons. Colossians 2, 13-15 gives us some evidence of this. Uh, Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When Jesus died on the cross, and when he rose again, and when he ascended back up into heaven, he disarmed the demonic forces. He put them to public shame. He triumphed over them. So here's, let me just tell you what, the, what I believe this fourth view is. The, these demonic spirits that came and inhabited the sons of men during the time of Genesis, chapter 6, before the flood, produced an ungodly offspring, the Nephilim, during the times right before the flood, where the world was filled with violence. These were ungodly demonic spirits. They died in the flood, and they were cast into gloomy chains of darkness. They were put in prison. And so when Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and ascended back to heaven, he did not go down there to preach a message of the gospel to get them out of there, to give them a second chance. He preached a message of victory and judgment over them. Did not literally go down there to preach to them, but preached to them on the way up a message of victory. Again, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this because it is an obscure passage of Scripture. The one thing that we have to say is, is, the, is there an explicit passage of Scripture that clearly explicitly teaches that Jesus descended into hell? And the answer is no. There's not a clear, explicit passage of Scripture. Is there a clear, explicit passage of Scripture that says people have a second chance after death to repent? No, as a matter of fact, the Bible actually speaks against that. It's appointed for man to die once, and then after that, to face the judgment. Do we have evidence in the Old Testament of saints going directly to be with the Lord? Yes. Now, the Old Testament does talk about Sheol, but I don't think it's a holding tank. I think it's just a metaphor for death, a place, you know, going to the grave. Uh, but I do believe that Old Testament saints, when they died, they went directly to be with the Lord. So the question, did Jesus descend into hell? I would have to say no. How do you deal with the Apostles' Creed? Well, it's uninspired scripture. It's a man-made creed. It's good as far as creeds go, but I would refrain from using that term. And if you do, uh, you know, recite the Apostles' Creed in your church, I would encourage you to take that, that line out. Now, 
one of the things that we'll probably address in a future podcast, because I think it's a question I get all the time, and that is death and the intermediate state. What happens to believers when they die? What happens to non-believers when they die? What happens um, to you know before the resurrection, before the the final day? What what's going on with with believers and unbelievers right now? Um, is, how do we deal with soul sleep, the intermediate state, all those types of things? We will probably do that either on the next podcast or on a future podcast. But I just felt like we needed to just do like a mini podcast and and deal with a topic that I've I've had asked rarely, but I think it's an important topic because you see it a lot, especially in the word faith um, extreme charismatic movement where they really abuse this to teach that Jesus not only went to hell, but he actually became the nature of Satan in hell, and he was the first born-again man down in hell, and, and, and people like Kenneth Copeland talk about he became a wormy spirit, and even Joyce Meyer teaches this, and so that is flat-out heresy. Uh, now, there's some quibbles about these four views that have been with Orthodox Christians uh, throughout church history. And again, uh, we can't be dogmatic on this. And, and this is an example of just the analogy of faith. Again, I want to stress that. You cannot build a full-blown theology over an obscure passage of Scripture. Uh, for example, Mark's ending, the ending of the Gospel of Mark, where it talks about handling snakes. That's really the only place in the Bible that talks about handling snakes, but you've got the, the snake handling churches in the Deep South and in Kentucky and Tennessee and places like that where they've built an entire theology over an obscure passage of Scripture. Uh, another place would be um, in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about baptism for the dead. It mentions once there, what is Paul really saying? The Mormons have built a whole theology on baptizing people that were uh, past members of their family who were dead. That's why they go back into their genealogies to make sure that uh, they can get baptized in the present for those that have already died so they could you know, receive their celestial planet. Uh, so again, we've got to be careful that we use the analogy of faith, that we let Scripture interpret Scripture, and that areas that aren't as clear, we let the areas that are more clear speak to those and that we build our theology over a consistent pattern of repeated themes throughout the scriptures. So thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I hope this podcast has been helpful. Um, until next time, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.